With Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour is underway. It is Friday, June 9th, and we welcome you to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Flames Talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Ryan Pike will join us a little bit later on this hour. We'll dive deep in on the arena stuff uh, because Arena Committee Chairperson and Ward 1 City Councilor Sonia Sharp going to join us later on this hour to get really into into the nitty-gritty of the arena project here in Calgary. So stay tuned for that later on this hour. But it's a Friday, which means we say hello to Eric Francis to kick off the hour. Sportsnet's Eric Francis on Francis Fridays on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now. Hello, Franchise. How are we doing? I am fantastic. How are you, my man? I'm good, and uh, it's good to know that we've got another news conference on Monday. It's the beginning of the week news conference again, a couple weeks after Craig Conroy was introduced. Now we're looking forward to a Ryan Huska introductory news conference as the head coach. And it's, it's funny, EF, because you and I have kind of been on lockstep on this one throughout the entire way. We felt all along the way this was going to be one of the internal candidates for the Flames, and, and here it is. It's, it's Huska, and he's going to get his first first NHL head coaching job. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. I think the internal hire has been the way to go the entire time, but I'm curious as to where you are on the Flames choosing Ryan Huska to be their next head coach. Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've liked it all along. And because, I, you know, you and I see and, and hear and deal with him, and, and you, you can see how cerebral he is, how, how, how smart a guy he is, how well-spoken he is. I think he's a great front man. He's always very, very articulate. And uh, and patient and explaining, you know, answering all of our questions at the press conferences and 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 you know, so put our little biases aside because we deal with them on a daily basis. But you know, this guy really has, I think, paid his dues, and you know, I'm glad that they're rewarding him. I, I sense from people's reaction that this wasn't what people were hoping for. I, I don't know if you're seeing that too. Again, I don't spend a whole lot of time uh, in some what, circles for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I again, I, I just I just hear anecdotally from a few people like, oh, that's that's underwhelming or whatever. And I'm like, you know, first of all, we know that there's a long history of not wanting to spend big money on coaches, especially now that they're paying Daryl Sutter four million bucks plus to stay home. So I, I get that they weren't going to, you know, go and get Peter Laviolette or Gerard Gallant. Uh, I just think that you know it does send such a great message in an organization that you can be promoted from within if you put in the time and the effort and i think people just they just want a big splash and i i think that that's where the disappointment is for some people but i'm just i'll be here to tell you and i'm sure you'd echo the sentiment which is you know we've thought all along that this is the guy who you know they should probably go with you know i i do expect uh, that mitch love would probably be an assistant and uh and if he wants to be he may say no what i'd rather as a head coach. That's that's the one that I'm not I, I I don't I can't get a I can't get a good read on that whether or not Mitch stays with the organization or or decides to look elsewhere if as as he does not get the head coaching job I'm I'm really curious what's next for Mitch. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I, I am curious too. Um, I, I think that making the jump from AHL to be head coach in the NHL was gonna. I think I don't. I worried about that. I just worried about that with a with a team with a ton of veterans and a team that, you know, management still thinks can you know have at least one more year of real competitive hockey. Um, I, I I just wonder how veterans take to a guy who's feeling his way through the NHL for the very first time, and you're supposed to put all your faith in him that he knows what he's doing. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to slag Mitch Love, and I and I love AHL guys getting that chance to jump from there to the bigs, but. I just wonder with this team if that would have been the right call. So I, I think that uh, it would be a perfect fit if Love was game for it to come in and be an assistant and, and be the heir apparent behind Ryan Huska. Uh, that's the way I've seen this thing kind of shaking out from day one, and you and I have talked about it openly. Um, but, I, I you know, it, I, I would hope that the organization, it is a situation where his nose is out of joint. Uh, I guarantee Craig would have said to him, listen, we love you. We think you're going to be a great coach in the National Hockey League. We hope it's with us. Um, we just think the move right now is Ryan Huska, and we hope you'll stay with us either in the AHL or as an assistant in the NHL. Um, and I think I think Love would be okay with that. I think that he's put in the time, and there's a great, a good enough relationship that he would have that patience and not not you know be pushing to go somewhere else. So I would imagine he'll still stay with the organization in some capacity, and he's obviously going to be doing so well thought of by this organization. I and I get that look, the last time the Flames promoted from within inside the organization, it lasted officially thirty games or thirty-six games with Jeff Ward during the fifty-six game season or whatever, twenty-six games, mm-hmm. sorry. Um and and so I know that that one didn't work out very well. He did a he did a decent job when he was kind of steadying the ship in the wake of the Bill Peters scandal. But when he was the full time installed head coach, yeah, I think we can all agree that it did not go very well. Um, Glenn Gullitson went from being an assistant in Vancouver to a head coach with the Flames, and and that had some varied degrees of success over two seasons. So I understand the trepidation, but for me, I I I look at Ryan Huska and I see a guy. First of all, as you talked about, we, we get an opportunity to interact with him. I, I, yes, does he have a softer touch maybe than Daryl Sutter did? Of course. But I also know this guy is uh, an authoritative guy. He has worked with junior hockey players for a long time. It's a little bit, you, you're not every junior player's buddy. You've got to be a little bit more authoritative. So I, I think he's got that. He has won at different levels as a head coach. He's been extremely successful in his areas as an assistant for the last five years. So I look at it and I say, yes. Can that sometimes be a handicap when you are an assistant in the same organization moving to a head coach job for the first time? Sure. But I think Ryan's the type of guy that has the ability to not let that be a hindrance. And I think he's the he he's ready for this next step in his coaching career. Like he he has been working for this for the last two decades. Yeah. And he you know, he was a player. He won a Memorial Cup alongside Jerome McGinley. He's won Memorial Cups as the coach there at Kamloops. Like I, I really, his resume is pretty is pretty solid. Um, I just, uh, you know, I do like the continuity too. Like I mean, I, I know that this organization is excited about a fresh start and a and a and a, and a new, you know, a change in the culture. Uh, but I do think continuity continuity is important as well. You've got it with Conroy as the general manager now, and you also have it uh, with Huska. So I, I. I I think this is all gone according to kind of how I thought it might go and how it should go. I really feel that way. And, and again, it's not 
they, they don't have to break the bank for Huska. And I know that we, we long known, and I'm not criticizing ownership at all. It's just that they've, they've always kind of been more apt to kind of give someone a, a promotion from within or from elsewhere at, at a cheaper cost for the coaching position. And, and I'm okay with that. The, uh, why, because for me, I've, I've been very adamant that not only do I think that's the way it's going to go, but the way it should go for both GM and head coaches is go internal because I'm with you. I think continuity is important just based on how last summer went, based on the fact that, you know, the, the idea was not for them to be in this spot. They, they went into the decisions they made last summer expecting to be a winning team. And I know this year was a disaster, but they're not organizationally from the top. They're not dra- dramatically altering course. So if at the top they're not going to dramatically alter course, then I think continuity with new voices in both Conroy and now Ryan, they're new voices, but they're also guys that have been here. And so there's a little bit more familiarity and there's a little bit more continuity up and down the organization in this. Sometimes I think that's a cop out this time. I don't this time. I think having that is really steadying for a year that was super, super turbulent and could have gone right or, or could have driven the organization right off the rails for quite some time. Agreed. And, you know, I think also he saw the way this team has played two years ago when it won the division and last year when they certainly deserved a better fate and, you know, they, there were struggles, but he knows what it takes to win. Like with this group, he knows what works. He knows what doesn't work. And I think that the one thing that I know Brad Living was always keen on. And of course, Daryl was, was big on it. And I'd be quite surprised if, if Ryan Husker wasn't big on it, which is the style of play they the style of play the Flames have employed over the last several years is one that I think I would assume Huska still wants to employ, which is just check, check, check in your face, cause turnovers, cause pressure. And, and you know, it'll be interesting to see if he emphasizes the shot volume as much as Daryl does. But I'll never forget this year when it was Huska who had that very well reason. You know, he's, he's so good at explaining things to people. But he said, in terms of shot volume, we think that the most dangerous play in hockey is a shot on goal because from that shot on goal, any number of things can come from it. A rebound, um, uh, all the different uh, deflection, um, you know, it, it's chaos. Once a shot's on goal, all bets are off and, and, and chances of to score are there. And that's the mentality he's had. And he explained that a lot better than I just did. Um, no, I thought you explained. I, I might hire you as the head coach now. <laughs> Thank God that wasn't an option. So, uh, yeah, so he's you're going to get some very thoughtful press conferences. Obviously, you're not going to have confrontational ones like the ones we endured almost every day. Um, and, and that's, again, that's just, I don't care about that. That's a personal thing that nobody else cares about. I know a lot of people thought it was quite entertaining uh, when Daryl was, uh, you know, overtly disrespectful to all the questioners. But, uh, you know, it, it'll be a kinder, gentler press conference from now on. And I think that benefits the, uh, the, uh, the, the fans, too, because they'll get really good explanations to questions that are, that are pertinent to what the situation is. Francis is with us. Francis Fridays. The Flames are going with Ryan Huska as their new head coach. And 
yeah, I'm I'm really curious what the rest of that staff looks like. I I'm curious yeah. as to whether or not Kirk Muller decides to to leave and go in a different direction. I'm curious about the Barbara and Kale McLean. Like everybody's contract is up in 21 days, so I'm really curious to see how that all plays itself out and what the staff looks like. Do you know we've heard Mark Savard's name, we've heard Alex Tongay's name. Do they somehow make it into this conversation as part of Ryan's staff? That's also super fascinating. So so fascinating, you know. Like, you know, is that a is that an upward move for Tangay to leave uh, Detroit, where you know he's done a pretty good job? They're they're pretty happy with him. They speak highly of him. Uh, you know, would he come here because the the band's getting back together? You know, Conroy's here now, and Kenny, you know he knows that at some point Jerome's coming here. Uh, does he want to be part of that little party? <laughs> you know, maybe that's quite attractive. Um, or does he say, look, this is just a lateral move and it doesn't make sense for me to do this right now. Um, you know, Savard is a little easier to sell. If, if, if you're Mark Savard, he'll, he'd take the job here in a heartbeat because it's a step up from the Ontario Hockey League where he's head coach. Uh, but I, I, I yeah, this, this will be a, a real interesting set of hires. And uh, I'm happy for Ryan Huska more than anything else. You know what? He's put in his time. He put in his effort. There had to be many days where he thought, you know what, this is never going to happen for me here in this organization. And uh, good for him that it's going to. Well, and putting in your time, and, and I got a lot of people, because I, I tweeted something on Thursday night about how it kind of felt like the, over the last week, I just kept on hearing, don't count out Ryan Huska. As much buzz as there was about Mitch, and I, I'm a big Mitch Love fan as well. I really, really am. But everybody yeah. I talked to just kept on saying, yeah, you know what, Travis Green, That there, there's a guy that's gone deep into the interview process, and yep, Mitch Love is absolutely still very much in play, but just don't count out Ryan Huska. I kept on getting told that. Um, and, and so and I, I put out on Twitter, I just said, you know, guys paid his dues, and a couple of people were like, yeah, but you, you, this isn't a union. You don't get promoted just because of the time and the dues. You've That's, not, sure. what, that's yeah. not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying this guy no. has been a head coach at, two high levels and one and been successful at two high levels. And he also has copious assistant work, both in junior hockey and now five years in the NHL. We're not talking about some guy that they're just promoting because he's there like this guy. And, and when they hired him in 2014, there was a succession plan that they even thought of then. They were like, hey, this guy is kind of a, a head coach in waiting for us. That's nine years ago. So what if if that was the initial plan and he's still with the organization nine years later and you've seen the success that he's had, why why wouldn't you heavily consider him in, in this case if you're Craig Conroy eventually make that decision? And it'll be interesting to hear like, you know, Connie talk about the the reasons why. Uh, he made the decision he made, and and all the hires, you know, like the the rationale behind it. We we have our own theories on why it makes sense or why it should be something they do. Um, you know, I want to hear from Craig Conroy what it is that it really appealed to him, and what was the biggest selling point for Ryan Huska. You know, I uh, I think you know the fact that um, you know around the league, I'm not sure he's considered a big name because, but here in this organization. Uh, he certainly made his mark. So anyway, and, and, you know, again, one of the things you'll probably point to is just how good this team's penalty kill has been over the last five years under Ryan Huska. Yep. And, uh, and I think that that's something that, uh, you know, is, is definitely a feather in his cap and they look at it and they'll say, yeah, he's part of why this team has been so good over the last five years in that regard. And credit to, to, to Ryan Pike, but in his five years as the guy in charge of Calgary's penalty kill, 
Calgary's penalty kill number six in the league during that five-year stretch. And on top of that, you take a look at the, look how much Rasmus Anderson has improved. Look how, look at the job that has been done with Oliver Shillington. Look at how Mackenzie Weger evolved as this year went along. He's had a lot, his two areas, working with the defense and the blue liners and working on the penalty kill in his five years have been two of Calgary's primary strengths, right? And he goes a ways back too, right? With a lot of these guys from the American hockey league, like Rasmus Anderson was on yeah. his team when he was coaching. And it actually, there's some pretty, I don't want to say legendary, but well, you know, to, uh, well-known stories of those two guys at times, butting heads um, just because the, you know, the coach was very insistent that there's a right way to play the game and, and again, and a path that Rasmus needed to follow. And, you know, I think ultimately Rasmus has followed that and become, you know, the top defenseman on this team. And, for my money, the captain of this team moving forward. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, having Ryan Huska as the head coach will even further cement uh, his status as the favorite to be the new head coach or the new uh, captain of this team, because I think he puts a ton of faith uh, in, in Rasmus Anderson, not just as a player, but also as a leader and a voice in that room. And he's watched this, you know, this defenseman development over the years. And, and, and I, I just think that's a, that's a, an important relationship moving forward. And they have a long one uh, that's gone in all sorts of different uh, directions over the years. And that's, uh, that's another selling point for, for those two guys to be, uh, you know, in lockstep moving forward. Uh, Eric Francis with us. It's Francis Fridays. Last one for you. So, okay, we don't know what's going to happen roster-wise between now and training camp, but we know who the GM is and we know who the head coach is. And those are the two big things that needed to be figured out before a lot of the other things could happen. What is your feel on, and I know there's a lot of projection in this because we don't know exactly what the roster is going to look like, but like, what should the expectations be for this team next year? Should the expectations be they're a cup contender? Should they be fighting for the Pacific Division crown in the regular season? Should they just be competitive and, and the playoffs is all that matters? I'm just curious as to where you might fall on this, knowing that it's June 9th. Well, that's just it, right? Like, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm never scared to, to throw my opinion out there, but I, and I don't want to sound like a cop, but it's too early to tell, Pat. I mean, you know, I mean, you okay, talk we're about it on, now. we're fighting. You talk about it on a regular basis. You know, the biggest question mark from now moving forward, personnel wise, is, of course, Elias Lindholm. And then after that, it's Noah Hannafin. And yeah. if you do have to take those guys off your roster because they're not interested in signing long term, then there's, there's, a, there's a significantly different outlook on this team depending on who you bring back, are you bringing back prospects? Are you bringing back, you know, starting top six forwards? And You know, there are so many questions to be answered. And I, I think it's way too early. I do generally think that this team will definitely be uh, able to contend for a division. There's no question about that, in my opinion. Um, but to what degree depends a lot on what, what direction they have to go in from between now and what the next, I guess, month. And over the next month, we're going to see all sorts of personnel moves. They may not be that significant, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be, starting with those two guys that I just mentioned there. Uh, before we uh, before we wrap things up, uh, you want to you want to uh, mention Shane Doan and his promotion and uh, hiring in Toronto as Brad Treliving's uh, potential right hand man. Listen, there are many guys who have you know, garner as much respect in the league as Shane Doan over the years, right? I mean, he's, he's done more for Arizona hockey than anybody in the, in, on the planet. And, uh, 
I had a really interesting conversation with him when the Flames were looking for a general manager. You know, I told you several times on this hit that I spoke to like five different guys who'd been interviewed by the team to be the general manager. And he was, he was a guy who, you know, I was really curious to find out how interested he'd be in ever leaving Arizona, given whatever, you know, the ages of his kids and stuff. Maybe it was time for him to now really sink his teeth into a, a full-time job. And it was very interesting to me because he didn't really want to comment on, I mean, we had a good chat off the record about a number of things, but I, he really didn't want to go on the record with any sort of uh, response to the, the obvious question, like, are you interested in doing something outside of the desert? And um, I think we know why now, because, and I, and this was, you know, Tree Living was a free agent, and I think a lot of people knew at that point there was a good chance he was going to end up being the Flames, uh, you know, GM or a GM somewhere very prominent very soon. We knew that he was going to be able to write his own ticket in a lot of different places, and in fact, he did. And that history goes so far back with Doan and Tree Living back in the desert when he was a player. The respect between those two is immense. And I think it was a no-brainer. And I also think that it was such a smart, savvy move for Tree Living to be able to to sign uh, Doan and put him in an assistant GM role with the Leafs because also I think that that will help and be very instrumental in in trying to help keep you know uh, Austin Matthews in the fold if, in fact, they're able to do that in Toronto. Uh, I really think for a lot of reasons it's a very savvy move. It's not surprising that history goes way back. And I'm really happy for Shane Doan. Like, that guy... Um, have you ever talked to anybody who had a bad word to say about Shane Doan? I mean, I don't think so. So to have a player like that, and the last thing I'll say is Tree Living has always said, and I, I 100% agree with him, I'm sure you do too, the players know better than anybody. The players, who, especially the ones who played in the league, the ones who are really, really good in the league, they know the league better than anybody else. They know players who are working not hard enough. They know players who have a bigger upside than anybody else. And I think Shane Doan's going to be a tremendous addition for the lease. And that's the kind of thing you can do when you run an organization with, you know, the deepest pockets. Uh, they, you, you can fill that front office with as much brain power as you want. And uh, good on Tree Living for doing it. And good on Don. He's such a classy guy. I was really happy when I saw the announcement. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And I get to see you on Monday. I'm excited. It's a great way to start a week when I get to see you. Oh, buddy. What t- do we know what time the press conference is? Probably like 11 or 1. It'll be one of the two. Just before just before the, I do my show. It always they always give me lots of content every Monday it seems. I'm sure we'll oh, I'm yeah. sure and I'm sure we'll move your show around again for Monday. That's okay. I'm flexible. <laughs> you know that. Okay. Have a great weekend. Bye franchise. Buddy. See you, buddy. Uh, Eric Francis, Francis Fridays from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. He joins us every Friday here on Flames Talk, and he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. 15-time Consumer Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues on a Friday, and we're just over a month removed since we found out the news about a new arena project 
in Calgary. A deal had been finalized, and now we can start moving towards a replacement for the Scotiabank Saddledome. We heard from Mayor Gondek. We heard from John Bean. We heard from Premier Smith on that April 25th. And kind of the person behind the scenes who had been leading the way the entire way is Ward 1 City Councilor and the Arena Committee Chair, Sonia Sharp, who joins us on the program in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now as we get into some of the real nitty-gritty details on this arena deal, especially seeing as how there's been news this week and there's more to go, more to come. So really appreciate you joining us, Councilor Sharp. Thank you so much for doing this today. It's, it's awesome to chat with you. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Well, and it's been just about a month, just over a month since you you stood up there and we heard about the announcement of a new event center, a new arena in the city of Calgary. Here we are on June 9th. April 25th was that date. I'm just curious as to what the last month and a bit has been like for you as the arena committee chair. So, you know, getting to that point on the 25th of April um, was a lot of work. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, a lot of work with my the committee, not a lot of work with administration. So, um, I can tell you, after the 25th, we were all, you know, took a moment to, to breathe, which was really important, and regroup, and um, start looking at, you know, what's next. And so we knew that um, part of the what's next had to um, do with uh, what the per- like the province has to work with um, when they go through Treasury Board, and, and that will be at the end of, I think, 8 August and early September. So we took a couple weeks to decide um, how we wanted to make sure the next meeting rolled out. And one thing that I think, um, you know, we sat down and debriefed was, I wish we had, you know, a presentation standing there behind all of us that day to really hone in on um, the principal agreement between all the partners because it was a very verbal announcement. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of questions coming to us. Um, some of like the numbers, you know, it you don't have all that information sitting right in front of you at that moment um, all the time. So what we did is we planned for this next event center meeting, um, which happened this past week. And so we really just wanted to make sure that the public understood the agreement's in its entirety. And everything that we presented on um, this past Monday was on our website um, on the 25th of April or even the 26th. They wanted to make sure everything was there. But seeing it all broken out into, I don't know, like 20 slides is a lot different than standing out there and articulating everything at once yeah. in like five minutes on bites. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and and it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the the last month, month and a half since the 25th and, and you know, kind of being able to take a little bit of a breather because of all the work that led up to that announcement on the 25th. Can you can you even give us maybe maybe even the Reader's Digest version of what those negotiations and conversations were like and how much of a grind it was, especially for you as the committee chair leading up to actually being able to announce something. So what's important is, you know, all the work leading up to Lisa say, I think we had a meeting in March Um, negotiations, you know, were going on and they're still, we're technically still in negotiations, but really what you, you want to do as the chair is that leadership role is to bring everybody along, along, like along the journey. 
Um, we had meetings with my colleagues, so outside the committee members. So we have two council members, uh, three of us that sit on committee. So outside those two, um, we had to bring all the other councillors up to speed on everything that was going on. You want to make sure that you're, you know, um, letting them know this is what's going to happen um, when we go to council. This is what you're going to see when it comes on the agenda. These are really important conversations to have um, so that everyone feels that they're part of the journey. Um, administration was working around the clock, and, and, I'm, and I'm not kidding. Um, they're, they're, they were doing a great job managing um, the internal side of things, you know, rewriting reports and getting information. Um, I was on that side. I know how hard these folks work yeah. and, um, and are consistently working. Um, so I can't even express the, you know, the gratitude I had for them when I walked into the boardroom on the Tuesday morning and they handed me my package and said, here, Councilor Sharp, this is for you. And I literally was like, like just, you know, um, everything was printed. Everything was ready to go. I had speaking notes. I had ordered them breakfast. I knew they were working all night. Um, and so those moments that you have those, you know, that connection to say, we're going to, we're going to cross this finish line today and we're going to get to the next journey. Um, I think we were all ready uh, for that. Lots of nerves, obviously, because we still had to have that conversation with, with all of council. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes for the magnitude of the project like this. Um, this is, you know, if you think about, you know, other than the Green Line, um, this is one of the biggest infrastructure yeah. projects Calgary is going to see. So a lot of work went into this. And I'm so proud of the team. I'm so proud of the committee. Um, and I tell them that all the time because you had the right people at the table. And these people have passion to see this being built. Passion will drive this. Well, and, and now that the provincial election has has been figured out and we know what the province is going to look like politically for the next mm-hmm. four years, and, and not even to suggest that, that you were leaning one way or the other, but just to, to know that the provincial election, that was another step in the process and it's put to bed, was that just another step where you could say, okay, there's another box checked, there's another signpost passed? Yeah, so, you know, with the provincial election, you, we just had to, you know, wait for the election results. Um, the, the one thing that would have been the big difference is a different um, party, so it would have been a different government. You, you need to bring everybody back up to speed again. So that would have been an added step in there. So you would have had to meet with a different, mm-hmm. you know, um, different administration, um, different premier's office where with the same, the same party in, in power, then they don't need to be brought up to speed. Now they have all the information, go straight to the Treasury Board. Um, we've seen today who would be sitting on that, which is there are some very familiar faces. Um, Minister Rick, Rick McIver, who was actually assigned to this file yeah. through the Premier, is the Municipal Affairs Minister. Um, so that's great news. You know, like, so there's, there's opportunity now. We know, okay, this will... This will, this will get to Treasury. They'll have the conversation they need to have because they have to do their due diligence as well. There still are people that will be around that table that are going to be new to this file, and they're going to have to do their due diligence. Um, the, the, the positive thing for us, I can say, is that we didn't have to you know, spend some more time you know, training um, everybody on a new file. Um, it's the same. It'll be the same people. Right. We're in conversation with Ward 1 City Councillor and Arena Committee Chair Sonia Sharp with us here on Flames Talk this afternoon. It's Pat Steinberg and uh, lots to dive into with Mr. Ryan Pike as well. Hi, Councillor. Um, before we dive into, I guess, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the pieces of this thing, I was just curious, you know, this in this incarnation of uh, the negotiations, the, the city was represented by, by CAA Icon. I'm just curious, you know, what was it like working with them and what do you feel like their, their value add was to this whole process? 
Um, the team from CAICON was incredible. Um, and I don't think I can thank them enough either. They are the subject matter experts here. If you look at the last two times um, that we, you know, the city and council tried to do this, it was within its own its own people, like, you know, like the own council, the own administration. First of all, politicians are not negotiators, neither are um, senior leadership to the city of Calgary. We, I think the best thing we could have ever done was hire a firm like CICON to kind of, you know, be the negotiator, have those uncomfortable conversations, because you have to understand, like, um, you know, the city manager having an uncomfortable conversation um, with CSIC, there needs to be relationships moving forward, even if, you know, things don't cross the finish line. When you hire the professionals that can have those conversations, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, it's okay. And so they did a fantastic job. The other big thing here is they speak the language. They understand the business. And understanding the business, especially in, I would say, you know, like in, in this particular instance when, you know, we didn't have two deals cross the finish line, this was our last chance. And so this project was really critical to have the right people at the table. And I think, you know, they did, they did a fantastic job. And um, they worked very closely with administration. Um, I got updates as I needed to as the chair. And um, they were that real conduit to uh, CSIC and the Calgary Stampede and the province. Um, and you can also imagine the time that they put into this. Um, and so it was incredible. They did a fantastic job. And I, and I, I also built another relationship with individuals I would have never met otherwise. Well, uh, personally, I sort of conceptualize, uh, you know, there, there's a $1.223 billion project is a lot uh, just in terms of just the amount of stuff that's going on in, in the whole the whole project. I've sort of conceptualized it to help myself digest it as sort of the four pieces, the event center, the community rink, uh, the outdoor and indoor plazas, and then sort of the, you know, the, the infrastructure piece of it, sort of the stuff around the stuff. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. Let me, let me know if there's anything I'm glossing over too much. Uh, the event center is fundamentally speaking, just replacing the saddle home. Uh, the community rink, I know when, when the BMO center expansion happened, you know, the, a lot of you know local sporting groups, you know, they no longer have a stampede corral sheet to play at. And, you know, the community rink seems like it would, you know, be a really nice piece to to replace that, you know, city center ice as a bookable space. And the indoor and outdoor plazas didn't really exist before, I think, in any conceptual, you know, sense of any project uh, in, in the area. I'm, for, for you, uh, of, of the pieces, what do you think has the, I guess, the best value add? Because, you know, like for me personally, I'm, I'm a fan of the community rink because, you know, disclaimer, my dad still plays old-timers hockey, and he, when the corral came down, was in my ear a lot about what are, when are they going to replace that ice? What's going on with that? So that's that's the piece I look at and say there's sneaky value there. But for, for you, what do you, what do you point out as sort of something that Calgarians will, will look at when the project's done and go, oh, I'm really glad they put that into it? So I'm going to take things from a different lens, um, just right out, of the, right out of the gate. I'm going to talk first about the infrastructure piece, um, the culture entertainment district improvements. That transportation connection improvements in that area is what every Calgarian is going to notice. Um, and then it's going to make it easier for you to get to the community rink and to the event center. So that, crit that critical contribution from the province um, is important for that area. And so that's one, I would say, one fundamental piece that I think every Calgarian um, will notice regardless if they're going to the event center or community rink. Um, it was really important to have the transportation improvements um, uh, even thinking like thinking back at the last project, those that land, like the land, the remediation, the transportation connection connections, 
were critical, and it was never really highlighted. In this project, we've highlighted it part of the whole package. When it comes to the community rink, um, when we talked about doing this event center, that was a really, for me, that is also another really important piece of this. Um, you know, uh, my my husband played in the corral. Uh, my boys play sports. Um, community building and allowing the community to come to a place where maybe their heroes play out of. But it's not just even hockey. There can be dance, um, you know, uh, ceremony there. And there can be, uh, you know, there's lacrosse. There's so many things that can happen in that community space. And having it available to the community after 4.30 for bookings is also something um, that I think everyone's going to benefit from. And um, so that, for me as well, as I, I do think about the community, I was uh, around when the corral was around there, uh, Ryan, so I might be an old-timer then too, but uh, <laughs> I didn't play on the sheet of ice. <laughs> I've played on it, and the ice was, uh, at the at the end of it, fairly rough. Uh, I, for, for me, like you know, I know looking at the the pieces of it i mean you know the the i think the the transportation piece might be the thing that people like you said you know if if we're calling a spade a spade here it's been kind of a a minor nightmare getting to stampede park pretty much for the last like 10 years i mean you know it's it's the infrastructure the the events that go on there have you know, far outgrown the road connections. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious, you know, I, we've seen a dollar amount from the province. Do we have a sense yet? Sort of, you know, the, I think the, the things that have been highlighted in the, in the package were, uh, I, I think the, during the, even during the previous incarnation of the deal, there was the, the CMLC piece on building out 17th Avenue and integrating it in redoing the, the, the Vic park train station and integrating it at ground level. Uh, the, the underpass uh, below the CPR line to bring, I think it's, Fifth Avenue or Sixth Avenue? It's it's Fifth, I think. Uh, yeah. Under underneath the the right of way. Do we have a sense yet in terms of uh, the other pieces? I know there's been a, a discussion in the in the literature about uh, that 25th Avenue piece, the, the the south end of Stampede Park. Do we have a sense yet of sort of what that would look like? I'm I'm trying to conceptualize for myself, uh, you know, what all the the different connectivity upgrades are looking like. So the contribution from the province is the the 330 million, um, 50%, like they're paying for 50% of the community rink. The rest is very much what you mentioned, the transportation connections. Um, And that's the 6th Street underpass, 5A Street, 15th Avenue, 17th Avenue adjustments, and the 25th Avenue adjustments. Um, This is critical work to get done in that area so people can get around, right? Um, Like I said, it it is really hard right now to get around that area. Um, And it was before even some of the work for the underground utilities um, work was happening for Green Line. So we don't have conceptual drawings of this. Like we have the conceptual drawing that was, sorry, that was included in the package, which you have seen. But we don't have, um, you know, until the province crosses the, the Treasury Board, we will not have exactly what this needs to look at, like out in the public yet. Because we want to make sure they do due, due diligence, look at all of the, you know, the memorandum of understanding and say, yes, we can deliver on this. But this is a critical part of the infrastructure project, which I think people are really going to see the benefits of this once this is all done. Um, And this is something that the last project did not have included. And so I don't know where it went. I don't know uh, what wasn't included, Um, but it was included in the 2018 work, which you just mentioned from CMLC, which talks about the, um, the Rivers District and culture entertainment work. So there's a lot of work that's going to be done uh, from CMLC, which is like the they, they're looking at the 17th Avenue extension and the stamp, the Stampede Station rebuild. But all of this is one big package, the vision for the area. 
and um, and that's what this is. It's it's a long so the long range vision for an area that not only would have the event center block, but finish the Rivers District and Culture Entertainment District. I think you almost stole the question I was going to ask you, because I know, you know, anytime there's, you know, public money involved in any kind of this kind of infrastructure, you know, folks always, you know, I think it's natural for folks to be a little bit nervous because it is a lot of money. But for for, for you as someone, you know, on council who voted for this and who's someone who's been sort of involved in the, the process since the, the, the reboot, so to speak, does, I guess, does what uh, the city and, you know, folks in the area are getting out of this sort of, you know, does that allow you to be a bit more comfortable with the amount of money involved? Because, you know, I remember last time, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the stuff that wasn't included, you know, the transportation stuff wasn't included. It was sort of, you know, sort of a, you know, uh, uh, I think it was uh, mentioned in an appendix and then it sort of became, you know, like maybe it'll cost 10 million. We're not sure they hadn't really costed it out yet. And the, the, the lot, I think was seven, seven acres, seven, I forget. Yeah. yeah seven acres. And so to be blunt, it was, I, I think the design was very nice, but they crammed a lot of stuff onto a, onto a very small plot of land. Cause that's what the land they had to work with. And it seems like there's just more of the stuff that you'd probably need to make the area work. And instead of, you know, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouths, but it feels like instead of doing this sort of piecemeal over time where, you know, you do the arena and then like, oh, we have these other headaches because of the arena, okay, they need to upgrade something else and so on and so forth. It seems like, you know, this is more of a, a holistic look at what you need to make the district actually work properly. It was. And right out of the gate, that's what we knew we had to do. And so, you know, the cost, this is the project. And it's like a lot of people say, like, what is the, you know, why, how does this compare to the last deal? How does this compare to the last project? The project, this project is a totally different scope. You know, we talked about seven acres. Now we're at 10 acres. Um, there's an outdoor rink. Wasn't included last time. The, the scope is totally different. The infrastructure changes are different. Um, and so what's important here is that, you know, you can't really compare the two. Um, what I'll say is that we, we looked at the district. We had to have a vision for it. We had to say, how is this going to work? What is it going to look like in 40 years, right? And, um, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, the, have, having that long-range vision was super important for this project to cross the finish line and, and to succeed. Um, the short term, yeah, like ripping the Band-Aid off and saying, okay, Calgary, it's a you know, $1.2 billion project. It's broken out though. It's not. It's not just an event center's 1.2 billion. The event center is 800 million. We're talking about other contributions here from the city that are going to go towards, um, you know, improving the land and the tra- the transportation around it. So it's it's short term. I, I know there was a there's a lot of hesitation and it's a lot of money, but this is a very big project, and. Um, and we talked a lot about the community benefits to this, and we talked a lot about the benefits to Calgary and the region. And I think, you know, in, in having a private, you know, a private business, technically a partner, um, wanting to be a partner in this and committing to 35 years, that's also really important. Um, and I don't think that should be lost on people, that it's a predictable and stable payment the city is getting from, you know, a private corporation. And one last one for me. Uh, I believe at the the meeting on Monday was mentioned that uh, I believe the next the next step outside of you know papering this thing and getting all the agreements in place is sort of that RFP for the development manager. Which you know mm-hmm. once once you select that, I think then 
a lot of different things will happen. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, you know, I think I remember uh, in previous incarnations of the deal, I believe CMLC was originally the development manager when the, the, you know, I guess incarnation one of this thing came together. I know CA Icon has done development manager work in the past. Are, are you able, I know, I know there's some things you might not be able to talk about publicly, but are, are you able to say if CMLC or CA Icon would be involved in that process or be able to apply in that process? So a couple of things. So the, yeah, the proposal went out um, on June 6th and um, the RFP is out there and folks that would qualify can apply. The one thing I can tell you is that generally procurement is actually kept away from council and politicians in general uh, for conflict of interest. So mm. administration will be working, um, overseeing that, um, that next step on its own. And when they go through the process, they'll be able to hire um the development manager. So I know the RFP is out um, and it, you know, they're usually out for a couple of weeks and they will go through a criteria of selecting um, the best development manager and whoever that might be. I can't say, cause I won't even know until they tell me. <laughs> uh, last one for uh, counselor Sonia Sharp, board one city counselor and the chair of the arena committee. Uh, gracious enough to spend some time with us here on flames talk on this Friday, just a, a last one counselor. And that would just be, Overall, uh, kind of next steps. Do we have a better idea of of timelines than maybe a month and a half and a month and a half ago when the announcement first came out, or is or is that still very much kind of in flux and a developing type thing? So the next, so what it is is the next couple of weeks, um, administration and the province will be focused on finalizing the definitive agreements, and that will go through the summer. And once. Um, they're able to release stage one of the RFP process, that would be a big significant step to begin construction um, and like looking at the timeline for construction. So we want to make sure that, you know, um, we go through this process with the RFP. The province is, you know, going to get together here in the next couple of months to look at the definitive agreements and bring that through Treasury Board. And I would say in the early fall, we should be able to sit down with a timeline and say, okay, what does this look like when it comes to permits and um, actually getting in those shovels in the ground? Councillor Sharp, really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for uh, spending it with us. I know we've tried to do this a few times, so I'm glad we could finally make it work. So thank you so much. Continued good luck in the process, and have a great weekend, hey? Thank you so much, you guys. Have a great weekend as well. That is... Councillor Sonia Sharp, Ward 1 City Councillor and the Chair for the Calgary Arena Committee joining us here on Flames Talk. Lots of info there from Councillor Sharp. She joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. And now it's... I was just like, yeah, I'll ask two or three questions and then let Pike take the reins. Did you did you get everything you wanted there? I know that this is your wheelhouse, baby. For for now, I mean, you know, the as uh, Councillor Sharp alluded to, there, there's going to be a lot more details coming out. You know, it sounds like the the contracts are going to be worked on throughout the summer. So it sounds like between you know the provincial money getting solidified and approved by the Treasury Board. And just the contracts all getting finalized. It sounds like there'll be more to talk about probably August, September in terms of, you know, the, the nitty gritty of this thing. And, you know, we, maybe we'll find out who the project manager is uh, in about, you know, two, three weeks. So there'll be, there'll be news. We'll, we'll have no shortage of things to talk about in this file. Pike loves this stuff. Uh, Ryan and Pike on Twitter, by the way. Uh, good stuff this hour. Thank you, pal. I was, uh, thank you for carrying that interview 
and going places that I just don't have the mental capacity to. Hey, we uh, one of us really wanted to talk about RFPs, and the other one is you. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Uh, for Pike, for our producers this hour, Azam and Callum, my name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap up this hour of Flames Talk, which has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.